When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, I am Kyle Meinke, Lions beat writer for MLive. Uh, this is a very uh, special podcast in that Ben Ravitz's not here, <laughs> off gallivanting somewhere in, in Italy, eating a lot of pasta. So joining me today is um, the new producer of the Dungeon of Doom, Patrick Shea. Patrick, how, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. Happy to fill in. So now I've filled in for Kyle and I've filled in for Ben before. I think today we're going to talk a little bit more about joint practices. Um, I'm going to get to ask you some questions that, you know, I've always just had to sit and listen in the background. So now I get to uh, ask my questions and we're going to hear some questions from listeners when we open up the mailbag as well. I love the mailbag, so I'm glad we're doing this. It's also kind of a, an easy conversation, I think, to have with um, you know, in this in this format where Ben's not here, but I, I love open up the pot, the, the mailbag. I do it written, obviously. I'm, I'm live too, but it's just kind of a fun way to to roll through topics that are on people's minds. Um, we were talking off air, Patrick. You went to the University of Illinois, right? Well, I didn't actually go to school there, but both my parents did, and I'm a townie, born and raised in Urbana, Illinois. So, go Illini. Uh, one of my best friends, he's probably the biggest uh, Illini fan on planet Earth, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. And he has asked me to put in like some kind of special sound effect every time Kirby Joseph's name is mentioned. Um, I haven't started doing that yet, but when the season kicks off, I think I might. Kirby Joseph gets some kind of special little sound effect, which you're probably hearing right now. Well, that that's why I brought it up, because Kirby... Um Man, he is balling out. Like I, I think, you know, they drafted him in the third round last year. They were weren't even planning on playing him. I don't think um, with Tracy Walker back there and everything. And then Tracy got hurt uh, early in the season, and Kirby comes off the bench, and he was pretty raw guy. Ended up leading the team in picks. Picked off Aaron Rodgers three times, which is something no one had ever done. And I'm telling you, Patrick, he looks he looks even better in camp. It's just a second year. I, I really try to temper, uh, you know, the highs and lows of a guy's playing super well in camp or super low in camp. I try not to read too much into it, particularly if they're younger, because, you know, guys have hot streaks or they have cold streaks and things level out. But given the way Kirby Joseph played last year and what I have seen from him in camp, particularly alongside CJ Gardner Johnson, since he moved um, back to safety and those two guys playing alongside each other, I mean, they are ball hucking like crazy in camp like lots of interceptions cj cj garner johnson had another this week so i know you know lions fans love kirby joseph your buddy loves kirby joseph i, I just had to give a shout out because he, we haven't talked about him too much on the podcast and let me tell you kirby is playing very very good ball right now love to hear it the pride of urbana illinois let's go kirby i've been to urbana i'm not sure how much pride there should be uh Ur- urbana urbana sorry i got yeah. the michigander in me Hey, come on, man. It's a gem in the corn desert. <laughs> um, so, yeah, want to do a, a mailbag? I think... Uh... Hey, I've got one first for you. Let's open my own personal mailbag for you first, okay? So, I mean, obviously, Lions fans through the years have not had an easy road. Optimism has been hard to come by. But it's safe to say this season is different. 
You know, you and Ben have talked at length about the buzz surrounding this Lions team right now. Detroit is stoked for the season. The people of Michigan are raring to go. Well, that optimism you guys have hinted at, it has some concrete uh, like data behind it now. Um, MLive reported last week that the Lions have sold out their season tickets to Ford Field for the first time in, in history. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And for the first time in Ford Field history, um, they've sold out season tickets. So since 2002. And that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, but like the, the Lions, like Ford Field is a really good environment. Um, I always try to tell people that despite their struggles, which makes people think that Ford Field is like a snooze fest, it's actually one of the best home environments that I've experienced. The the best that I've seen is in Seattle. I mean, the press box was like literally shaking from the, the noise from the fans. Um, I've never seen something like that in the NFL. And I haven't yet been to Kansas City, which also has a great home venue. Uh, although that's obviously waiting in week one. But aside from that, of all the NFL places that I've been, like Ford Field really stacks up with some of the best in terms of game day atmosphere. And that's with the Lions being like mostly bad in my time covering the team since 2013. Um, and when they're playing relevant football, that, that place is, is popping. And they're going to play a lot of relevant football this year. The tickets are already sold out, the, the season tickets. So I can just imagine what that place is going to be like this year. I, I can just imagine. Because at those high points, Patrick, um, when they're playing uh, intriguing games uh, or, or they're in it, um, that, that's a loud venue. So, yeah, I mean, anyone walking into a grocery store, seeing someone in Lions gear or hearing people talk about the Lions uh, at the bar or, or whatever, like like the everyone knows the excitement that exists. But from being around the team, you can already feel it. The first preseason game uh, was one of the best crowds I've seen at Ford Field for a preseason game. So I, I can just imagine what's uh, waiting in, in week two and thereafter. Yeah. And then my follow up question is, uh are we completely jinxing this season by talking about the high hopes uh, every episode? <laughs> well, you sound like just about half of my mailbag questions every week. Like, okay, yeah. Well, let's let's uh, dive into some of those questions. We're opening the mailbag, and Kyle is diving in headfirst, Scrooge McDuck style, into your questions. So let's get into it, Kyle. I'll I'll, I'll read you the questions and you answer them. Do you got it? It's pretty simple. Sounds great. So first up, we got a question from John A. Um, how concerned should we be that Amon Ra St. Brown seems to account for half the offense per your observations, particularly when considering his recent injury? Uh, his follow-up question is any update on that injury. So that's a two-parter question. First off, is Amon Ra St. Brown pulling a lot of the weight of this offense? Um, you guys really talk about him a lot on the show for good reason. Um, but is that our cause for concern? And second, any updates on his injury? Yeah, so I know that question came from John as well as, as CJ. Um, and there's a, a few questions this week about Amon Ra because he was he got hurt on Wednesday, which I think sends alarm bells through Lions Nation because everyone knows what that guy is, what he's done the first two years of his career. He's caught, uh, I mean, he set the NFL record for most catches in any player's first two years, which is remarkable for a fourth-round pick. And this offseason, Patrick, he's looked even better. I, I mean, really, it's, which is... I, listen, I, I'm not prone to hyperbole. Like, I really try to avoid it. But the Amon Ross St. Brown that I've seen in camp is at a different level. There was one day in practice where they had 10 uh, red zone reps, and he caught six touchdown passes. I mean, he was basically unstoppable that day. Uh, I think I've seen him drop one football or maybe two footballs in camp. Um, so he's just been remarkable at times, unguardable, and that's going against a really improved Lions secondary. So I think it even means more than it would have if it was happening, say, you know, last year when they had more issues in the in the secondary. 
Um, he did have the ankle injury. Uh, I believe it's an ankle. Uh, that's, you know, they were retaping it on, on Wednesday. I think the promising thing is that he was running on the side after that, testing it out. He was even doing some cutting. He did not come back to practice. Um, and based on what Dan Campbell said this week, he might not uh, practice or play again until sometime next week. But there's no concern there. It's a minor thing. They're just maintenancing him until, until week one. So as far as the injury goes with St. Brown, the injury concern is exceedingly low. The only small concern there might be there is that he did have ankle trouble last year. I believe he sat out one or two games maybe because of it, um, was limited in another by it. But, you know, he was still one of the leading pass catchers in the league, was by far the leading pass catcher in Detroit. Um, so, you know, some ankle injuries with, with St. Brown, um, but no concern with the injury. Obviously, to the to the question, you know, is there a concern that he's catching half the footballs? <laughs> um, and what that might mean if he does go down at some point, which obviously happens in the NFL. And I think there's some concern to that. The, the offense ground to a, a halt, I would say, on day one against Jacksonville this week when he wasn't out there. Jared Goff basically was dumping off everything into the short field, particularly to, to Jameer Gibbs, the rookie running back, who's been really active in the passing game, and David Montgomery. I mean, there was only a handful of passes that I would say on, on day one against Jacksonville that went more than five or ten yards through the air. Um, it was really just check down city basically um and on the few balls that did go down the field i would say they were not very good um there's one in particular to daniel helm uh, the tight end that Goff had him open for a touchdown and just missed him so there's no secret patrick that Amon ross st brown is jerry Goff's favorite target uh, you know he's he, he was the leading pass catcher last year they have great chemistry it's like they're almost thinking on the same page and can anticipate each other and when he's not out there it's obviously a, a, a a problem for the offense but I would say on a lighter note and to wrap this up you know on day two it was much better from Jared Goff I think he maybe had just had time to, to acclimate to not having his guy out there and I will say that Khalif Raymond took most of the slot snaps on day two without St. Brown out there and Lions fans know how good that guy is he just got another extension for a reason he's an all-pro return man but he's also surprisingly effective as a receiver that was never really a thing he did previously in his career but he's really turned a corner in Detroit been a really versatile guy even effective on the outside despite his, his size but he's at his best in the slot and so I, I do think the Lions have a guy who can play that position if St. Brown goes down but there's no one in, in Detroit who's like Amon Ross St. Brown there's a few guys in the league who are like that so if they lose him obviously you know there's going to be uh, an issue for the for the offense well it sounds like fingers crossed uh, the injury isn't going to be too serious and we will see Amon Ross St. Brown play a huge part in this season. I mean, all you have to do is listen to any of the Dungeon of Doom episodes from preseason to know how huge this guy is for this Lions offense. All right, moving on, we got John W. Uh, this is a different spelling of John as well. So another John, John with an H. Do you sense any worries about the receiver room with the injuries occurring? Are they as comfortable as they say they are with the personnel in the room? A similar question, but kind of getting into more of, you know, what else we've got in terms of receivers. Yeah, exactly, Patrick. And I think it's a good question. You know, when you're reporting these things out, it's always like, okay, what's the news? And the news this week was Jamison Williams suffering a hamstring injury that almost certainly will keep him out of the rest of the preseason, which is a, a big deal because he's already missed so much practice time, including most of last year. Uh, he missed practice, uh, like I think five practices earlier in training camp with an injury to his left hamstring. Um, it just put more premium on getting him more snaps 
uh, to get him ready for when he can finally play in week seven because of a, a suspension. Uh, and he can't even practice for half that, sus- that, that suspension. Um, and the line of talking about dousing him in reps in the preseason just to get the kid basically, you know, acclimated to the offense and ready for a role when he comes back. And then now he's injured his other hamstring. And I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not his doctor in particular, but it did look pretty nasty the way he, he pulled up uh, on the field. I don't think we're going to see him again until mid-October. Uh, the Amon Ross St. Brown injury, which we've already talked about, is pretty minor, not going to affect them for the start of the season. I don't think it's a big issue when it comes to their depth, what they have going on. But to the questioner's point, you know, what's the depth like without those guys on the field? And I think they're confident in the guys they have. They have a good mix of like young guys and veterans. Uh, Marvin Jones is back in Detroit this year. And I don't think he's the same guy that he was before, but he still is a really good pass catcher, uh, particularly with contested catches. And that's something that's always allowed him to produce, even when he wasn't gaining a lot of separation. That was always one of the fascinating things to me about his first run in Detroit was that if you looked at the metrics in terms of separation, which is a big one for receivers for you know obvious reasons, he was always near the bottom of the list in the league in terms of how much separation he was getting from his defender. And yet he was really productive for the Lions. He was you know, the leading receiver for a couple of years, uh, him and Golden Tate. Uh, I think he's actually third on the team's like all-time touchdown catches list, despite only playing here for like, I think it was four years. So while maybe he doesn't run quite like he used to, I still think his skill set allows him to be productive. Um, He himself had an injury early in camp, so he's been worked back slowly, mostly with the backup offense. But all the recent injuries, he's taken a lot more first-team reps and uh, is developing a lot of chemistry with Jared Goff. You still got Josh Reynolds there, too, who's been really reliable, has good size, good speed. I think he is what he is, which is a really solid number number two outside receiver in the NFL. Um, and they have some young kids who have played pretty well in camp, and they're going to need those guys to step up going forward with the injuries. And I think that's where the concern is. Is I think they're going to be fine in the starting lineup. And I didn't even mention Khalif Raymond, but Khalif Raymond has looked really good in camp too. He's a really good backup to throw out, throw out there as well, um, particularly in the slot if something were to happen long-term with St. Brown. Um, but you need at receiver backups to come into the game, and that's going to be particularly true with Detroit dealing with these kinds of injuries. And of course, the suspension out to Jamison Williams for the first six games of the year. I would say they have one or two jobs open uh, at receiver, and they have some guys fighting for it. Other guys are hurt, including Denzel Mims. I don't, I don't think Denzel Mims is long for this world. If Mims is not on this roster by the time we drop this podcast, it wouldn't surprise me based on what Dan Campbell said about him this week. Um, so we'll see on that front. But uh, in terms of uh, what I saw this week and what people can look for in the, in the preseason game, I have my eye on Chase Coda. Um, he's not a guy I really watched early in the offseason for the Lions. He just wasn't really doing much. I mean, you saw him out there because he's huge. He's six foot four. He's the biggest receiver in camp. I wouldn't. He just didn't really flash. But that has been happening more. Like he's been flashing more in the in the past couple of days, or maybe uh, maybe maybe a couple of weeks. Um, and in the preseason game uh, for the Lions last week, in, in the opener, he led the team uh, in receiving four catches, sixty yards. Uh, and because of that, and, and him really trending up in recent days, he was rewarded with more first team work um, this week because of the injuries. I think he's one of the guys who really benefited from the injuries, getting more exposure with the first team offense and opportunities to impress the coaching staff. And he ran with it. I thought he played really well. Like he doesn't, he's not a speedster, but he has good size. I think that's a, an effective weapon to have, particularly in the red zone. And, and on Thursday against the the, um, the Jaguars, uh, he caught touchdown pass from, from Jared Goff. 
Um, so, I, you know, he's not going to start this season, but if they're looking for more size on the perimeter, which I think is something they're looking for, I think that's a, a trait that he has. That's an NFL trait uh, and gives him, um, I think he has a really good chance to make this team, given the injuries and the suspensions uh, at that position. Dylan Drummond's another undrafted rookie who has flashing camp. I, he's been more productive than Chase Coda. But when I look at him on the field, I don't know what kind of NFL you know, traits he has. He's not uh, a super fast guy. He's not a super big guy. Um, so he's fighting against that. But production's also worth something. And we saw that last year when the Lions kept Tom Kennedy as the final receiver. Not because he's big, not because he's fast, but because he did everything else well. He produced and the Lions rewarded him for that. So if there's a, a roster spot to give an extra one um, at receiver when cuts come, you know, Drummond maybe is a guy who's played himself into that competition despite not having you know, maybe some of the NFL traits you typically look for in a receiver. All right. Well, obviously, Jamison Williams came up in some of that discussion of receivers. And the next question is about JMO. This question comes from Pioneer2710. I do believe that's their legal name. <laughs> is... <laughs> Is JMO trending towards becoming the next version of Charles Rogers? Uh, Patrick, I, I threw that one in there because because I've seen it, particularly on Twitter, and I know Twitter is prone to hyperbole and stuff and doomsday um, stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's people out there wondering, is he a bust, basically? I mean, there's people out there also wondering, if, like, why are you questioning Jamison Williams? He's a superstar. Like, it, it seems like it's such a polarizing debate at this point. I see nothing more polarizing um, than JMO these days. I don't know if I've seen anything more polarizing except maybe Stafford during some of the Stafford years, but uh, he's a really polarizing guy. Some people say you can't criticize a single thing that he does because he's going to be a superstar. Other people are like, oh my God, he keeps dropping passes, he keeps getting hurt. Is this guy a bust? And, you know, as most things are, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. He's certainly not a bust at this point. I certainly wouldn't say he's on bust watch at this point. Charles Rogers is one of the most epic draft busts ever. He also had drug issues and other off-field issues, uh, and those dated back to his days at Michigan State. These were red flags that were, like I think, known, and they obviously became a bigger deal in Detroit when he got here. That's not the impression I get from J-Mo, and I would not be comparing Charles Rogers to, to J-Mo at this point. And yeah, the, the, the injuries are unfortunate. You know, the ACL he blew out in college, he hurt the left hamstring early in camp, now he's hurt the right string in camp. Um, you don't want that, and it's two soft tissue injuries, which really I don't think should be happening like they are with a guy who's only 22 years old. I don't know if that is maybe residue from taking so much time off from the ACL and maybe his body's, you know, his soft tissue is just maybe a little bit more rigid. Um, Dan Campbell was asked about basically what fault Jamo might have for um, the second injury, the, 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 but the training staff, whether there's fault there. And, and of course, Dan Campbell didn't want to blame anyone, but brought up possibly maybe hydration issues with JMO or got to make sure he stretches. I don't know if they actually think those are the issues. It's really hard sometimes to finger point why an injury happened. Um, it does make me, the way he answered the question does make me think if there's at least a little bit of like curiosity within the organization, whether JMO was doing everything he could to prevent this kind of thing. But the bottom line is like he tweaked his hamstring. He's not going to practice the next couple of weeks and he was going to set out the next, you know, the first six games of the season anyway. So like there's no doomsday scenario here. And I know, I mean, we've talked about it so much on this podcast about some of the concerns with JMO going all the way back to last year and him having a longer layoff from the ACL than anticipated. Uh, obviously there was the gambling suspension where he had, he had really, really poor judgment and what he was doing inside the building. 
I think it's worth pointing out he wasn't the only one, so there seemed to be some confusion, at least in the receiver room, because three of those guys got suspended. Um, but it's like any one of these things is not a huge deal, but like when you stack them all up, all the injuries and off-field judgment stuff, like I think some people are starting to see a pattern whether wondering whether um, there should be greater concern with JMO. As someone who's been around the situation, been around teammates and coaches and heard about what he's like, like I think a small amount of concern about decision-making and maturity and his seriousness about being a pro is warranted, but nothing that makes me think that he's going to be a bust or that there's some great alarm within the organization. Um, he's had some bad luck with injuries. And, they, you know, they're just, at some point, Patrick, he needs to put it together. He needs to put together practices on the field. He needs to catch footballs. Um, he got two passes for 18 yards in the preseason opener, despite playing the entirety of three quarters, basically, and doing it against basically backups. So for me, that's the bottom line. He clearly needs development to be the guy that, that Detroit wants. Um, and now he's not going to get it while he's tending to another injury. And that's unfortunate, but I just wouldn't bust out the B word, bust at, at, at this point. So staying on this uh, apparently polarizing topic of JMO, um, Joseph Martin asks, well, Joseph Martin says it's getting harder and harder to see the Lions actually counting on JMO to be the guy they initially hoped he'd be, at least this year. Could you see the Lions pulling off a trade for a legit number two receiver? Yeah, JMO's a, a hot button issue. I know you're not around the beat, but this, I mean, you can see now what we deal with every single day when it comes to JMO and the polarization of that conversation. But just to answer the question real quickly, I guess, I don't see a, a trade happening. Um, he's going to be back in week seven. I think the, the, the uh, more interesting topic to discuss with JMO is what kind of role he'll be he'll have when he gets back um, because he was repping with the twos even before the latest injury and now the line's going to have six games under their belt and Jerry Goff's going to have six weeks worth of chemistry built up with his guys and it's, it's kind of like last season when JMO got back in December he has phenomenal traits superstar traits um, but he just couldn't catch up to where the offense was and I think that'll be less of a thing this year because he had a lot of training camp to work with Goff but he's going to have missing like a full week plus of practices in a, in a four-week camp, I mean, that's that's substantial, especially for a guy who's going to miss the first six weeks of the season. So I, I think the fair thing to wonder is not about a trade, but what kind of role you're going to see from JMO when he is eligible to play in week seven, whether he can capture a starting role from guys who are experienced and will have six weeks worth of chemistry built up in a season, Patrick, where the Lions are pushing for a division title. I mean, they're not just going to play a guy because of his name or where he was drafted. They're going to play the guys who are most ready to impact the game. I don't know if that's JMO right now. You know, I think it was a couple episodes ago, maybe my favorite piece of tape that I've gotten to mix so far was an interview with CJ Gardner-Johnson. I mean, he's just he's just a character, the kind of character that's fun to have um, on a team that I'm sure that you're reporting on. It was fun to listen through his audio. I mean, listen back to that. He said something. They asked him about missing practice. He says, I didn't miss a beat. Um, and yeah, just just. A really interesting character has kind of this mean attitude, and I mean that in a good way. But Jared Eisenlor has this question around that. He wants to know if there are concerns that CJ Garner Johnson is going to cost us a handful of 15 yarders due to taunting. Uh, he says, I was at the joints with the Giants, and it looked like he was just trying to start something. Uh, Jared says he loves the passion and will support wholeheartedly until it costs us 15 yards in a pivotal moment. What are your thoughts on that, Kyle? 
Well, I really liked the question from Jared. It was my, one of my favorite questions because it's something that maybe was like active in the back of my mind passively, you know, just having been around the guy and seeing, I mean, we, like Patrick, we heard all off season, like, Hey, he's a great player. That's why they're signing him. He's really versatile. That's also why they're signing him. He's going to be a perfect fit for this, this defense. But they weren't just signing him for the football. They were signing him for the attitude, the energy that he would bring to the defense. He was notorious for it. And yeah, he likes to mix it up. He likes to talk. He talks as much as anyone in the NFL probably. I think players would tell you that. Um, and that's something that was lacking on defense for Detroit. And so while they needed to improve the talent, obviously, I think there was a push also to elevate the the, the tenacity, the, I don't know, the the ruggedness, the just the attitude of the, the, the defense. And that's something C.J. Garner-Johnson has done throughout his career, going all the way back to New Orleans, where Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn saw it, loved it. Um, he went to uh, Philadelphia last year. It's the same guy, led the league in, in picks, playing um, at safety. And he was brought in for these reasons. And so I don't think it should be any surprise to anyone that he's out there trash talking, that he walks to the media for the first time in training camp, and he's instantly like going after people for asking really like, uh, softball questions basically about how he was doing <laughs> that the audio that you're allu alluding to was just like hey you missed a couple practices because of this injury that we all saw and he like it, it he 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 nuked us <laughs> you know uh, he, he's, he's a firecracker and what's funny is like you can hear the trash talk against teammates but you can imagine what the trash talk is like um when other teams come to town and we heard it last week but this week against jacksonville was particularly like funny to me. I mean, he, him and Calvin Ridley were going at it, um, the star receiver for Jacksonville on day one. And that's and so we talked to Gardner Johnson after that practice and Calvin Ridley, uh, the Jacksonville receiver, came over like with it was standing like next to the reporters as CJ Gardner Johnson is holding the, this press conference, talking up he was getting questions about the the trash talk basically and he answered it. And <laughs> Calvin Ridley is just chimes in in the middle of the press conference is like uh, like basically says this guy can play, but he talks way too damn much. <laughs> and it was pretty friendly. Like, and they go back, they go back to like seven on seven football when they were in high school back in Florida. So like it felt friendly. I wrote it as a friendly exchange. And then on Thursday, on day two uh, of work with Jacksonville, they were going back at it. And I'm telling you, Patrick, it didn't seem that friendly. I mean, it took a turn. And at one point they were like jawing at each other. And at another point, there was like a big fight. It was on the far sideline uh, away from where I was in the bleachers. So I couldn't see what started it. But Garner Johnson was like right in the middle of it. And I, I don't know if he started it. Again, I don't want people to get the wrong idea, but he was in the middle of it. Um, and then shortly after that, like, you know, training camp, it's not like a game where there's 70,000 people. It's like you can hear what's being said on the field, particularly, you know, particularly if it's yelled. And he's trash talking everyone. He was trash talking the official that was like standing right next to the line sideline. And I was dying when he was literally trash talking the Jaguars kicker. The Jaguars kicker was like just warming up basically behind the Lions sideline, like pretty innocuous. And I don't think there's like a polarizing kicker in football. Like those guys are not big personalities. And team rules say I can't say what's said between players or coaches. So I can't, I wish I could tell you because everyone was dying at the trash talk. <laughs> Carter Johnson was just chirping at the kicker as he's just trying, the guy's just trying to warm up. And like 45 seconds later, I, I saw the cooker just walk away and go warm up somewhere else. Um, so that's that's CJ Gardner Johnson. Um, and it's entertaining. And it's something that the Lions wanted to bring in to, again, add just add some tenacity and some attitude. And, and I can tell you when I 
saw the two joint practices uh, in the last couple of weeks. There is a different attitude to the defense, and you want that. You need people um, to have the edge to them. But I think to Jared's question, there is um, understandable concern that, hey, does this spill over into the, the, uh, into the regular season? Does it cost his team? Is he like a, a loose cannon on the field? So I actually I looked it up. Uh, he did have 19 penalties his first two seasons in the league. That's a lot. But the last two seasons, he had seven total. Um, and in his four seasons in the league, um, I see one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in 2020 and one unnecessary roughness in 2019 uh, and one more in 2021. But nothing more as far as like, uh, you know, unsportsmanlike or other kind of personal fouls that can cost a team 15 yards. So... And particularly in the last two years, like I said, I mean, he had a low uh, penalty rate the last two years. So it seems to me like he's a guy who loves to mix it up. It's his personality. It's it's what makes him uh, who he is, which is one of the most valued, most feared defensive backs in the league. But I do think he has it un- under control during a game. You can't predict the future, but his, you know, his resume speaks for itself, I think, as a guy who plays at a high level and knows where the line is. All right, this next question uh, is... Uh little bit of an attempted reality check. It might be some uh, Lions PTSD coming through. Mario Caracas wants to know, convince us that this won't be the same old Lions this season. Death, taxes, Muleback, Lions disappointing us. What do you think, Kyle? Well, first of all, I love the question. There's a little like inside joke in there with the death taxes, Muleback thing, which is a, you know, alluding to a story I wrote a few years ago that, that, that kind of blew up about the long snapper who played for a million years in Detroit. So I love that. I love the question. Um, it does, I think, cut to the heart of Lions fandom these days, which is there's more optimism and hope than ever. And I think there's legitimate reasons for that. They had a Red hot finished last year. They had, the, I think, they were the second best record um, in the last ten games of the year. Only Kansas City had a better record, and Kansas City won the Super Bowl. Basically, everyone's back, particularly on on offense. Um, you're reloaded, got new playmakers. Like three or four of the early round rookies are all practicing well. Like, like there's a lot of reasons to think the lines would be good this year, and they have a wide open division that no longer has Aaron Rodgers. Like we all know these things, and why everyone is so high on the Lions. But Lions fans have been seeing the same story play out for 60 plus years, which is, you know, no matter how good or bad, good or bad you think they're going to be, they break your heart into a million little pieces. You know, that's 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 the Detroit Lions. That's Detroit Lions football. I literally uh, just on Thursday, the last practice, I saw an elderly gentleman um, at practice with a shirt that said uh, one of these years since 1957, like. I think he had like a, a, a cane or something like, and he comes in and like this, it looked like the guy had seen some things and as any Lions fan can attest, they all have, and it's never been good. Unless you're a million years old, you've never seen this team actually deliver, actually win something. Um, so I think people are fair to have circumspection about these hopes, this, this, this hype, like, is this really for real? I mean, it's never been for real. Um, so I understand with the, the skepticism, the, the, the circumspection, I, you know, it, it's understandable. But from my point of view as someone who's, you know, around the team, sees what they're doing, talks to coaches and players, I, I've seen it fail before. And I saw it in 2015. They're coming off an 11 win year. But you saw some cracks in the foundation and you had to wonder, uh, like, how good they would actually be. And 
this year I just don't have those feelings. I, I think every everything lines up for them to have a very good year, to have a very good team. And listen, Jared Goff can get hurt on the first snap of the year and you're screwed. I, I mean, things happen in the NFL. A lot of things have to go your way to win. But the Lions have given them a legitimate chance to win this year and that's all you can do uh, in this league and with the roster they have the mix of young talent with like really reliable veterans good steady quarterback play and established offense with a with a really uh, skillful creative uh, play caller um, new weapons in the pass rush I've if you if you're talking about like legitimate optimism for this season like you need to see a better uh, defense and that starts with getting more pass rush which is something we haven't seen I mean, it's been like 10 years since we've seen a, like a, a Lions pass rush that was actually effective. And these days, I'm watching like Romeo Okwara, who's a two-time team sack leader, and James Houston, who just was second among all rookies in sacks last year. These guys are repping on the third team. Like, I, I just haven't seen this kind of depth uh, ever. And so if you're asking me for why should I really believe that this year might be different, like, listen, I can't. I don't know if they're going to the Super Bowl or not, but when I look at the depth on the field, I haven't seen that. Even in the best years that I've, I've seen since being on the beat in 2013, I haven't seen this kind of depth. I've seen maybe better star power with like Calvin Johnson and so on, uh, and they don't really have a ton of star power on this team, but they have tremendous depth, particularly where it matters. Like I said, in the pass rush, offensive line, the big, you know, the, every starter is back, plus Graham Glasgow is here, who is a starting caliber player, could end up starting at right guard. Um, young talent, has, has skill positions, so much speed on the field, versatile playmakers, and I'm on Ross St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs. I mean, I think I'm like feeding into the hype now that people have been hearing. I'm probably not saying too much that people haven't already heard. Um, the skepticism is warranted, but as someone who sees these practices, I see a team that's deeper and more skilled than I have in so many years. Well, Mario, there you have it. Kyle says uh, this might be for real, so hold on to that hope, Mario, and hopefully – you know, you can see good things ahead this season. Kyle, the Lions will play the Jaguars in a preseason game tomorrow at 1 p.m. Of course, there'll be coverage of that on MLive.com slash Lions. But looking ahead to the first game of the regular season, we have a question from Raymond Nuznoff. He says, Kansas City just said they are playing the starters in the first half. Detroit is not playing them at all. Does this become a storyline? The day that preseason workload becomes a storyline is the day I hang up my 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 recorder <laughs> I mean like teams are all over the place with how they handle rep counts and and who plays sometimes it's not even consistent maybe a particular guy has been hurt and just needs to get 10 snaps of game action before he's ready you got, got, got guys like Jared Goff who like I think he played a couple of snaps two years ago they felt like he didn't have to play last year and he had a great season um even better than he did, the, did the pre, in 2021 when he played in the preseason and was not very good during the year. And then 2022, he doesn't play in the preseason and he's a top 10 quarterback in the league. So I just, you can't put, I, I don't put anything into workloads in the preseason. The only thing you could read into it is typically, particularly late in the game, the guys who are out there, even if they're playing well, they're out there late in a preseason game for a reason. They're on the roster bubble at best, usually. And that's about all you can take away from it. Kansas City is going to handle its business its way. Detroit just had two rounds of joint practices. They even took the pads off on, on Thursday because it got so much good work in. So I just don't think the Lions feel they need to put guys out there uh, in the game, expose them to the injury risk. Uh, they're just carrying on to next week. And um, you can't read anything more into it than that. Well, Kyle, you're saying not to read too much into the preseason. That being said, 
There will be a lot of great preseason coverage that people can read coming up as the Lions take on the Jaguars tomorrow. You can read all of that coverage from Kyle and Ben and all of the fantastic coverage on the Lions beat here at MLive at MLive.com slash Lions. That wraps it up for today's deep dive into the mailbag. Keep those questions coming. Thanks so much for listening to the Dungeon of Doom. Ben Raven will be back next week. Is that accurate? As long as done eating pasta, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I've seen a lot of Instagram posts from Ben of him eating food, being on the beach. He's supposed to be back on Saturday, so I think he's going to be back around next week. But we'll see if we can pry him out of the, the pizzerias of, of Italy. Absolutely. Well, thanks, as always, for listening to the Dungeon of Doom. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, share it with all your Lions fans and friends. We'll be back. Have a great day, and thanks for listening. <laughs>